0: And I'm Joe Weisenthal.
2: Joe, I I feel like we may have had this conversation before, but um, did you ever play Magic the Gathering growing up?
0: No, I never did. And I kind of think it's weird because maybe I'm like the type of person who would have. (laughs) You were right. You did, right?
2: Yeah, I did. But so I can see you sort of being interested in it from a like poker slash maths perspective yeah
0: yeah no I should have been I should have been yeah
2: i was more into it from a collecting perspective i mean i did play but for me like i just liked collecting all the cards but the reason i bring it up is because one of the interesting things about magic the gathering was there was this whole ecosystem built around this card collecting card playing game and the company that ran it was called wizards of the coast and every once in a while, they would encounter major problems where, you know, the price of cards would suddenly get out of whack, or the game wasn't as much fun to play because they'd released a bunch of cards that had like special powers and things like that. And then they had to figure out ways to fix the entire system. Um, and it was really interesting to sort of see them do it and manage to, I guess, they sort of managed to avoid the fate that has overtaken so many fads over the years. Like, think about Beanie Babies, right? Those are the classic examples. Oh, yeah. But, like, Magic the Gathering has been going for years, and they managed to, like, keep the system going.
0: Totally, and people are still really into it, and somehow, the, you know, even in the year 2021, people are still playing it. And I think you make you make a really good point, which is that they've kept it successful despite the fact that there is clearly a lot of speculation in cards. Totally. Like, one could imagine a scenario in which People are just into cards for, like, the monetary aspect, and then the gameplay sort of falls off because maybe they get too expensive or whatever. But somehow they seem to have struck a fine balance where, yes, people pay a lot for cards. Mm. And, in fact, I think, like, recently there are like, some record card sales, even, like, just in the last, like, several weeks or months. But the game itself is still um, played enthusiastically by a lot of people.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's a really good way of putting it. So um, the reason I bring it up is not because we are going to be talking about Magic the Gathering specifically. Though although, we should at some point. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I would love to do that episode. But because we're going to talk about a sort of brand new game that gives me a lot of flashbacks to Magic. But it's very much a new game in the sense that it is. it sort of brings together everything in the world of crypto, like cryptocurrencies. NFTs, uh, non fungible tokens, yeah. uh, blockchain—it brings them all together into the metaverse. Yeah, exactly, into one ecosystem, and it's just exploded in popularity in uh, recent years.
0: Right, and you know, I'll let you do the proper intro, but one thing—just <laughs> going back to Magic, uh, real quickly before we move on—is like, you know, one of the things with Magic is like you own your cards, right? You mm-hmm. own your deck. And with typical games online, you don't, you know, you think about some, I don't know, a game that people play. I, 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 don't, I don't want to sound boomer, so I like, <laughs> you know, it's like World of Warcraft. I don't know if anyone still plays it, whatever. It's like you don't really own your character in the traditional sense. Like you log into your character, but it's not yours. And so with this idea of like crypto gaming and really it's crypto in general mm. and NFTs in general, et cetera. Is this bridging of the notion of ownership, that this is a thing, whether it's a character, whether it's a token or whatever, it's yours and you can move it from one environment to the next. Totally. And so kind of like magic, you own your card in this world of crypto gaming. There is this sense of ownership that hasn't existed in online or video gaming uh, previously.
2: Right, and of course, you can make money from that ownership as well. So, if you yes. earn, you know, cryptocurrency in this gaming system, you can take it to a crypto exchange and convert it into something else. So, maybe, uh, maybe we should just get on with it because we do have tons yeah. to talk about. We're going to be talking about Axie Infinity. Um, you might have heard of it already. Uh, we have Alexander Leonard. He's the COO and co-founder of Sky Mavis and Axie, uh, and he's been kind enough to come on the show. So. Alex, welcome uh, to Oddbox.
3: Thanks, Gracie. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here. I uh, love the intro, by the way, as, as a Magic the Gathering player for over 20 years myself. I can definitely <laughs> relate uh, to what's happening here. And, um, oh, great. I uh, definitely love that ecosystem and how it evolved. So.
2: Well, so maybe just as an intro, you can kind of describe Axie um, for anyone who isn't familiar with it. I mean, we sort of touched on it, but it is kind of unique in the sense that it brings together all these different aspects of the crypto world, but it also brings together some things we've seen before, but you know, social networks and this idea of like creating an ecosystem that very much looks like a kind of contained economy.
3: Yeah, sure. I mean, there is so much to unpack here. I think a lot of what you guys mentioned, I mean the buzzwords are what drives attention to to the product, but at a very high level, what we're making here is is just a fun game using your Axie digital pet characters that then can be used in many, many different games. Now, some of those games are the ones that we as a team create. So the one that's most popular right now, it's the battle game, where you have your team of three Axie game characters and you play against other players who also have a team of of Axie game characters. And then there are many other kind of uh, sub games or different things that you can use them for, such as breeding of Axies, which is, is another game. And then more games are coming, such as you know, the land or kingdom-based game, which is more on the metaverse side. What we see is that, or the way that we've structured is that all of these games are connected. So the main characters that you have, they travel across all of these different games. And that, again, gives them more value, a higher collectability, and also more utility. And it's been you know, almost four years since we started now. So it's, it's interesting to see that the world has kind of caught up to our vision. And now, of course, we're, we're probably a product cycle ahead of pretty much all of our competitors. So very unique. And that's also why we have all of these players who are coming in, you know, right now over 2 million daily active players, even though like, they, they, can't, they can't get the application on any app stores. Like they have to sideload it, they have to go you know, get their wallets, buy crypto. So it's very high, a very high barrier to entry still. But what we see is that the benefit that we're enabling for these users in terms of true ownership and in terms of what they can actually use the game characters for is so unique that it has never really existed in the same way before because we're combining all of the facets of new technology with some uh, nice game design from the past and then again making a a, quite a large ecosystem.
0: So let's talk a little bit more about the economics. There's multiple assets, right? So the axes that one owns, the the three characters that you buy for battles, etc. Those I guess are like NFTs. And I think people like buy potion and that's its own token. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about this like and it's all gone up like crazy. Like I think this year, like if you were if you were playing Axie last year, everything's up like 200 fold or some incredible amount due to the rush of in game. But why don't you talk to us a little bit more about the sort of like the ownable assets that exist in game and how they
3: interact? Sure, Drew. I mean, so when we look at uh, when we look at Axie the first step that you know, people see is the cute game character. Each of those characters are unique. So they are defined as NFTs and they can be used across different games. And you need three to play the game, as I said. And when you are playing the game, you can earn another token or win a token, which is called the Smooth Love Potion or SLP. And that SLP token is then required to play the other game, which is the breeding game. And it gives that value. So to say that when, whenever you want to create a new Axie, you need to have this SLP token. If you don't have it, then no new axes can ever be created. So each Axie that's in existence right now is actually the result of some other human being uh, that has played the Axie game, generated the SLP token, and then used that to create a new Axie through breeding. So that's how that part of the economy works. And then we've also got... The AXS token, which is kind of the governance token for, for the Axie Infinity Game universe. And that's you know, highly limited, about 270 million of those in existence. And, and it started out at a price of you know, 10 cents last year. And now it's, it's over $125 per token. Uh, so, I mean, <laughs> the, the appreciation it has, it has been quite heavy. And that's because it's kind of tied to, to some of the revenue streams that are, that are going into the Axie Infinity Game.
2: Can you talk a little bit about the revenue streams? Because, you know, this is like both one of the strengths and I guess the the criticisms of the entire thing. So one of the reasons Axie is getting a lot of attention is because people are making quite a bit of money from playing the game. And this is how I first came across it. Uh, My Bloomberg colleague, Christine Servando, she wrote a really great piece about how uh, lots of people in the Philippines are basically quitting their jobs and just playing Axie full time and making enough money to live on. But at the same time, there's been some criticism of the business model from people who say, well, this is just sort of unsustainable. There's this really high entry cost. Um, You know, people have to pay. Well, you can maybe update me on this, but I think it's like a minimum of $600 to $800 in order to get the Axies that you need in order to start playing. And so it feels like you're sort of making money from the stream of new players who are coming into this. So maybe you can just break down where the revenues are actually coming from for us.
3: Yeah, sure. So when you look at how the SLP token, you know, is coming into existence, that's related to whenever people are playing the game. And that's, well, the farming of, of SLP, when you're, when you're a player, you can farm you know, small love potions or smooth love potions for between 12 to $15 per day. That's the, that's the current value. And that has been fluctuating quite heavily over the past, and I would say three to four months. So at one point, maybe a player could earn even $30 to $40 per day. And that was, of course, very attractive for a lot of people. Now it's more normalized to what it was before, you know, a massive run up in, in users. When we are thinking about the long-term sustainability of Axie where we consider ourselves right now is that, okay, we have 2 million daily active players. All of those players, they will need, they need three Axies, right? So that's at least 6 million Axies that are uh, required uh, for, for those 2 million players. And in existence, we have about 8 million Axies or a little bit less than that that have been bred so far. And if we then look at, you know, what is the total addressable market for something like Axie? Well, the way we've defined it is that we, don't, we actually don't compete against traditional games in the same way. We might actually compete against work, against those players, those people in the world who are unemployed or who are earning you know, less than, let's say, $15 per day. So that might be, and I mean, the game is fun, it's enjoyable, we have a, a large community, but at the same time, we can tap into a brand new user base who has never even you know, uh, considered a game in the same way, like a job in the metaverse. So that, you know, for us, leads us to believe that maybe we can reach even 1 billion or 2 billion people. And that means that there are still a lot of axes that need to be produced. For the foreseeable future, it's totally fine that SOP is being created so that other players can breed for that and sell, which then again is the criticism that many people come with. But for us, that's, that's totally fine because we need these axes in existence. Now, the question comes, what happens when, when we reach the total addressable market when we have, you know, let's say 1 billion or 2 billion players? Well, that's exactly when Axie Infinity has to kind of uh, evolve a little bit from being this place where there's a gold rush of people who want to breed Axies into more of a network, I would say social network, where people are actually hanging around in the game, they're having fun, they're going on different adventures, they're playing many, many different games that we and also the community can create. So I think that is already a very proven model in terms of, you know, let's say Roblox, for example, how many players do they have? and nobody is, you know, earning anything. So I think everything is about getting that early user base involved into your game so that they can fall in love with the game, fall in love with the art, and, you know, stay inside this ecosystem, and then eventually we can evolve from there.
0: But I think actually the Roblox comparison is interesting because you said the operative thing, which is that people love playing Roblox despite the fact that there's, uh, you know, there's no money involved or maybe some people are making money, but by and large, that is not the motivation. And throughout years, people have loved all kinds of games uh, that don't involve money. People love chess or people like, you know, first-person shooter games. Maybe there are some tournaments or whatever where you can win money, but money is not essential to the uh, uh, enjoyability of those games. And so I think, like, still what maybe bothers people about Axie or what is, like, is the game fun now or do do people have fun now playing the game or is it this sort of like digital treasury where it's like, okay, yes, you can make money, but if there was no money by clicking over and over or by earning this potion or by breeding your axes or by borrowing an axie to then breed it and then have your own or by borrowing, uh, you know, et cetera. If all of the monetary
3: appeal just sort of went away, is the game? Yeah, I think fun. that's a very common question that we see from people who maybe you yeah. know aren't as deep in the ecosystem as we are.
0: And that's and that's me. So that's what I I admit I'm not deep. So this is why I'm. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: So I mean, the, the very simple counter argument to that is: Well, what happens if you remove all the bells and whistles for, let's say, all mobile games? Like there is no Battle Pass, there is no you know nothing extra, nothing gamified that that you know attracts players to it. So I think you know. You can't actually remove yeah. every aspect from Axie because that's not how it was designed. It was designed in a way that all of the game characters are NFTs, that they should be able to generate tokens. And that's a big part of you know, the entire appeal of the game. So, of course, like, it's the same thing as saying you know, if you remove the ability to play, like, play the magic game, would it be fun to just collect magic cards? I think this is a different way of looking at it, but kind of answering the question more specifically. If people are enjoying Axie Infinity right now, yes, a lot of people are. It's actually about when we see, look at the motivation for players, right? We have Twitter polls where we, we can see that you know, less than 50% of the entire player base are only in it for the money. So where we see that maybe 30% is in it for the community. So that would be all the social aspect around it. That would be they find friends, they, they, they learn about new technology. And then 20%, they actually love the game at its current state which to us is, of course, amazing. And what it tells us is that when people come into the game, they might be you know, extrinsically motivated. So uh, let's say, hey, I can make you know, ROI and I can make maybe our, my ROI back in, let's say, two months. Now that's an inc- incredibly powerful driver of growth. So when we then see that they come into the game, they fall in love with you know, the ecosystem, they fall in love with everything that's around it, and then eventually some of them collectors. And now this is where the kind of intrinsic motivation part come in. Because when we see that players, for example, in Axie Infinity are spending over four hundred thousand dollars for an Axie, which has no way to gain like any money, they, they they can only buy it, they can hold on to it, and then they can collect it. It's actually more tied intrinsic motivation that they are they see the what's happening in this community that they want to belong to it, they want to show off their status because they're buying something that's exceedingly rare, and for us that's also kind of the direction that we want to take Axie in that you know people find that this is more real oftentimes, these, these digital assets, which are provably scarce, compared to when you look at something like in real life, in terms of luxury objects like Louis Vuitton bags, or, or let's say Rolex watches, because nobody knows how many of they, them are in existence. And the same actually goes for you know, traditional digital assets in normal games. Like You have no idea how many of these are in existence, or if the game company just, they can simply dilute you. So I think that's you know one of the major differences. And also, when we look at you know how much money is flowing into this ecosystem and how many people are you know interested in the game itself, you know, the economy aspect of it. Right now, over 2.45 billion dollars worth of Axi NFT assets have been traded on our NFT marketplace. So, you know, simply saying that, hey, you know, the, the game isn't fun, I think is very unfair. And then also it doesn't, it actually disrespects everything that we are trying to build and also the players in our game who are spending, you know, 10 hours not only on the game like playing the game but also playing the marketplace playing the social game so i think you know that these are it's a very complex part of it and you guys touched on it also uh, early on when you look at the uh, when you look at the ecosystem in magic the gathering right they had friday night magic they had all of these magic grand prix tournaments like people are collecting they're starting up their own you know magic the gathering shops the same thing is happening in axie you right? have people who are making their own you know scholarships or, or teams or even businesses, right? I've seen a a contract, a work contract between players, right? I think that's very unique.
4: Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC.
2: So I do want to get into how you're sort of managing the whole economy of Axie. But just one more question on this point. I mean, one of the criticisms is the the high cost of entry and this idea that maybe existing players are making money from the influx of new players. So what would happen to the game if you were to lower the entry costs. And I I think I I read somewhere that you were planning or thinking about doing like a a free to play version of Axie. So I'm just curious, like what would happen to the existing product if prices for entry got lowered? And then also why the free to play idea if the financial incentives are part of the equation um, of Axie as it was originally conceived?
3: Yeah, sure. So Axie Infinity was always actually designed to become free to play because that's how you know see that we can act into the get the Axie product into as many hands as possible, right? We know that people just want to. Some of them just might want to play the game, try it out before they actually take the plunge and you know buy their first game character. So what we can rather do is we can gate their ability to earn tokens if they, you know, if they if they play the free type of game. And a big reason for you know, why we don't have it is we actually had to solve a lot of different problems before we were ready to distribute or even try to distribute the game on more traditional app stores. And that means that, let's say if we want to have as many millions of users or even billions of users that we're looking for, the the underlying infrastructure needs to be there. And the same also goes for how we are looking at uh, the distribution channel. So when we are distributing Axie, let's say if we want to distribute Axie on the iOS or the, the Apple Store or Google Play, like there is currently no way for people to just simply click and then buy and get their NFT uh, very easily. Right. So we needed to make our own distribution channel for that. The goal is to distribute the new game on Google Play or uh, the, the Apple Store and then eventually kind of onboard them from there to become blockchain type of players where they can actually own their digital assets and, you know, buy extension there uh, also their identity.
0: Before we go on a little bit further, uh, Tracy, you both kind of mentioned it, but it has gotten incredible uh, success in the Philippines where there are a lot of people playing Axie. And as you mentioned, there are these so called scholarships because the price of the three NFTs that one is required to buy has gotten high. And so, can you explain this sort of like this sub phenomenon that's going on? What are the so called scholarships? And how is it enabling people who might otherwise not have much cash to upfront? to get onto the game, to get into the game.
3: Yeah, so uh, the interesting thing about the scholarship is that it was actually made by our players first. Like that feature, I mean, we always had an idea that we wanted to make, you know, let players lend out their axes to other players because we had such an early, you know, active player base who were breeding axes before they were very expensive. So some players might have several thousands of axes, and they wanted to use them, but not a lot of people, they couldn't afford these Axie characters. So that feature was actually coming uh, internally as well. But then uh, the way that our account account setup is worked is that it allows people to actually separate the thing of the assets by the playing of the game. So that means that if you own a team of axes on your account, you can actually let another player log into that, play the game, and then the rewards will go to the main account, which then again can be split between the player and uh, the, the owner of the character players actually saw that and they did it themselves. And then we just decided to let them run with it. So, you know, in, from the Sky SkyMavis perspective, we don't promote any of that, uh, you know, lending of it yet because uh, we haven't had that feature internally. But, you know, people are, are still spreading it, of course, and it's very interesting to see how that has developed.
2: Wait, so this actually reminds me of uh, one sort of technical thing that I wanted to ask you. But you have rules that no one can have more than one account at a time. Can
3: can you explain why those rules are in place? Yeah, sure. I think, I think that's one of the most important things of, of an ecosystem such as Axie. So the way that when we look at Axie Infinity, we think of it as a network. And the way that a network you know, grows is, of course, you know, hu- new human beings, they come into the network and they tell their friends and they might add value to it. And that value could be, let's say, create content or you know, they might stream, they, they might even play the game. All of these things, they add value to the the game side of Axie Infinity. And in return, we can actually give them some tokens. And that token, for example, is tied into into the breeding aspect of the game. Uh, But when you look at, for example, a person who is playing several counts at the same time, or the worst case is they might be using robots, like they're trying to bot the ecosystem, that again, Ah, it, it doesn't add any more value to the network. So then if they are then exploiting it by getting more tokens than they should, that's actually a net loss for everyone else who's playing Axie, so that's why we have that have that rule into place. So one of the most important things, or one of the most difficult things about creating something like Axie, is that you know proof of human being. How do we make sure that they're actually humans on the other side and they're not not robots trying to to exploit this system? And a part of that is the part of why that's possible is you know actually the the fact that it's it's quite expensive to get started. So the the stake that these abusers have in the game is actually quite high. If they are abusing and we catch them, you know, we we restrict their access to the game. And so that costs about six hundred dollars. That's also about a a pretty heavy deterrent to not break the rules.
0: So this gets into like sort of a really interesting philosophical question about blockchains, because, you know, you think back to like the the sort of like the core chains. There's nobody at Bitcoin, you know, there's nobody at Bitcoin who even knows who you are. You can have infinite number of wallets if you want and different private keys on different hardware wallets and so forth. The Ethereum chain is roughly the same. But then as these new applications develop, and I actually do want to get into how you use Ethereum because you've also sort of built your own side chain. I think that's interesting. But as new applications develop, some of these sort of like core principle ideas that we might associate with blockchains Anonymity, pseudo-anonymity, no rules, trustlessness, etc. certain of those get sacrificed such that there is, in your case, humans making rules, humans who could kick other humans off. Some of the sort of trustlessness, core basic ideas of a uh, blockchain does not necessarily apply once it gets down to the game application level.:
3: Well for us, this is a very natural, actually, how the, the game evolved. So if we look back into 2018, we came into the space having very, I would say we were naive, but also very hopeful in mm-hmm. the way that, you know, the, the, the economy and like everything in, in the ecosystem, in the, in the blockchain ecosystem would, would evolve. So when we created Axie, pretty much everything was on-chain. And by that, I mean, you needed right. to send a transaction whenever you wanted to battle. And then again, you know, that combined into an on-chain result, which anyone can prove, anyone can see. And, you know, we were following that decentralized ethos. Over time what we realized is that, you know, building a product based on these very like very heavy constraints is almost impossible especially if you want to reach, you know, the masses. If you want to teach them about this new technology. So that basically means that we had to take, you know, we had to sacrifice parts decentralization and the beginning was actually the game side. So right now a lot of the game logic is off-chain. So that means that we already as a game studio can make many many changes, right? We can also, you know, let's say if we want to buff uh, like certain skills, make them stronger, weaker. We can do that, of course. And we're very transparent about it. And I think you know that is one of the core, you know, core things that we think is important uh, when you're building using this technology. So what are the most important things for the players or for the end user? In our experience, what the users want right now is they want to like, have the ability to freely trade the assets that they have. They want to be able to uh, monetize their time inside the game. And they want to be able to see how many of these things are in existence right and i don't mean you know the the level of trustlessness that you might have in bitcoin for example because the values there are, are very very heavy so you might need very like, a very decentralized chain where you know nothing can be censored all of that stuff but on our side we we actually uh you know disregard that and go in a, a little bit of a different direction and that's you know a big part of why we managed to get to where we are today
2: mm. well can we talk about the the blockchain then? So Axie runs on Ethereum. And of course, like one of the big criticisms of Ethereum is always that it doesn't like work so well at a very, very large scale. So I'd be curious to get your impression of like working with Ethereum and like how you're sort of coping with that scaling problem as Axie continues to grow. Because again, like Axie is probably one of the fastest-growing Ethereum-related projects at the moment. So I, I imagine you have some experience with this.
3: Yeah, so Axie has, for many, many years, been very, very closely tied to Ethereum. I mean, we deployed our first initial versions of, on Ethereum. Our NFTs are, were even you know, deployed on Ethereum before the NFT standard was set. That was like March, uh, or if I recall, April in 2018. So what we figured out is that if you are all of your main assets on Ethereum and you are dependent on you know, sharing the block space with everyone else who is using the Ethereum blockchain, that's a very like, tall order if you want to scale to, to the level that we wanted. Or we've, if you want, let's say, millions, several millions of users. So over time, over 2018, 2019, 2020, we were exploring different scaling options. And in the end, we decided to build our own sidechain to Ethereum. Uh, now, that is much more energy efficient. Uh, it is much it is a free for players to actually make transactions, uh, uh, but it's going to be very very cheap uh, once we actually uh, upgrade the chain a little bit. So it's an ongoing type of uh, situation. We see that we need to be more effective. We need our own infrastructure. So in I would say to explain this in a, in a very you know simple way is we believe that we are in the server era of blockchains. And when I say that, I mean, when we look at how the internet scaled early on is that, well, you couldn't really trust the, the cloud, or you couldn't trust to have your servers or your, your homepage on another you know, server. You needed to have that you know, backbone in the basement so that you could actually make sure that your server or that your homepage was always up. The same thing is actually happening right now, where we see that if we're going to, going to, we were going to trust Ethereum or you know, the, the, the very decentralized web, we would be competing uh, for you know, space with every other application. So we just decided to make, ourselves, make our own you know, server in the basement, where, which is basically running in for now, where we can control some of the parameters and make sure that we're not sharing block space with too many of other you know, successful applications.
0: I, I want to get into this a little bit more because I think it's really important for people to think about the evolution of uh, blockchain in general. So it's called the Ronin Ethereum sidechain. It's not completely disconnected from Ethereum. And there are other sidechains as well. There's the Binance chain, which is done very well. And uh, that's also a sidechain. I think there's one called Matic, which is also a sidechain. Explain how a sidechain still works and relies on, to some extent, the security and trustlessness of the core Ethereum chain while offering sort of scalable
3: and, and cheap transactions? Sure. So when we look at, you know, both Binance, the smart chain and Polygon or Matic, as we said, uh, and also Ronin, um, what we see is that these chains are built using the Ethereum virtual machine, which is the, the code base that is running Ethereum. So that's generally where you start out and then you change certain things in the, in the configuration of it. Uh, and that might be, you know, for Ethereum, right? You're using proof of work when it comes to mining. So, you know, you're dependent on all of these other uh, machines that are helping out to, to, var- to validate transactions, and then you're giving a reward, which is, you know, the mining reward. Uh, for something like Roland, right, we are using, uh, right now we are in a proof of authority type of situation where, you know, people are, are not staking any of their tokens, but they're staking their reputation, basically the different type of validators. So that's one way of doing it. And eventually we're going to be moving over to proof of stake or delegated proof of stake where you need to have your own tokens that you are then staking which is then your will then you know get uh, slashed in case you are a, a malicious actor in the in the ecosystem so let's say that you are just just to be clear thing. for a second does your sidechain interact with the
0: main ethereum chain at all anymore or is it merely that it uses the same evm language
3: yeah so so there are there's yeah. a there is a connection there whenever you want to let's say if you want to move your assets from ronin to ethereum you can definitely do that but there okay. is no, you know, level of security that's directly like we are not yeah. dependent on Ethereum to that extent. But of course, like if Ethereum got compromised, you know, <laughs> our chain would also be very affected by that. But if our chain got compromised, all the assets that are on Roland would then, you know, be affected on Ethereum as well. Because there's a, there's a bridge that is connecting the two. So whenever you're depositing your assets uh, to, to Roland, which I think is there's about, you know, 2.5 to, to 3 billion. Uh, Dollars worth of assets secured on Ronin, well, you know, that's the, that's the risk for, for everyone who is depositing their assets there.
2: So actually this reminds me of something else I wanted to ask you, but um, I I think you recently announced that you're launching your own decentralized exchange, which is going to be built on Ronin. Can you walk us through like the the thinking there? Like why do your own one and then why launch it on your own side chain versus something else?
3: Sure. So when we are looking at the products that we need, right? So we're always thinking about it from, from um, the player perspective. So what do the players in Axie Infinity actually want and how and how do they want it? So let's say when you're playing the game, you get, your, you get your SLP tokens, right? The next natural step is, okay, am I going to breed for a new Axie? Okay, well, if I can do that, then I can do that on Ronin. But if you want to trade it into something else, right now, you actually have to bridge that to Ethereum or move that to Binance or some other exchange right that is a very bad user experience like that's not really how it is in any other normal game so if you are comparing it to let's say world of warcraft when you are finding let's say gold there or any other let's say woods you would be able to trade that immediately on the marketplace so that's it that's that's it you know it's just going to be an expanded marketplace which now suddenly has access to these fungible tokens like you know, SLP, AXS, and in the future, maybe wood inside Axie, stone. I think you guys understand my drift here. It's just about the underlying infrastructure is a decentralized exchange. So for normal people, like the only thing they would see is the marketplace.
2: Are you gonna offer um like some form of, of DeFi on the new exchange as well? So one one of the interesting things about Axie now is that you can take the tokens that are in existence, like AXS or SLP or whatever, and do lots of DeFi things to them, like staking or lending them out or whatever you want to do. Is that like also an activity that you would aim to capture for your users?
3: That, that, that touches on some of the, you know, the, the future that we see for SkyMavis and Axie. So when we are looking at our users, right, what we see is that 50% of the user base, they have never used any sort of crypto before. And 25% of them have never even had a bank account before. So these players, they're very new to the financial system. And if they can start playing a game like Axie, where they actually end up owning their tokens and their you know, assets and by extension, digital identity, that means that eventually they might be able to do something more with them because they have their wallet automatically created when they set up a, a game account and they will get money there too. Uh, and that means that you know, they can maybe even spend that in the real world eventually. And of course, be able to lend on it. It just depends on features that we want to add to Ronin. And that's going to take a little bit of time to figure out like, how effective will the chain be as we are scaling. So let's say we might hit 10 million users, 100 million. How, like, how many things can actually be on chain before even we are struggling uh, to, to scale? But I'm super excited about the potential to you know, onboard millions of, of, of people who have never used financial uh, tools at all into the, the, the connected world, I should say.
1: Every Friday, Matt and Katie will dive into all the Wall Street finance and other things that make Matt's newsletter such a hit.
0: You can listen to Money Stuff the Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So I had another question, but I want to ask this first because you have a problem that very few crypto applications have had to deal with, which is uh, mass popularity. <laughs> so it's so like even if you do look at like the top, applications that are built on top of Ethereum, like Uniswap, whose founder we talked to, or the lending protocol, Aave, or some of these others, they may have a lot of money locked in them, but they don't exactly have, like, mass popularity by any stretch on the scale that actually, we're, we're talking, like, millions of people. I'm pretty sure there's not, like, uh, there are not many uh, sort of crypto apps that have, like, millions of people like you have. So you have this problem, and one of the ways you solved it was creating the Ronin sidechain. Do you ultimately see, like, let's say, you know, just looking at the broad uh, expanse of things that happen on crypto and various NFT projects, do you ultimately see that as things get popular, that it'll look like a, you know, maybe some lending protocol becomes really huge? And like, why are we paying huge fees to ETH whales? Why are we accepting such variable gas fees every time there's like a new token launch of some like, derivative of a puppy coin or something like that and we'll then make the decision that why don't we have our own ethereum side chain where we can have stable prices cheap prices high scalable throughput and not have to worry about some new nft drop that's going to Mm -hmm. cause gas fees while we're (laughs) trying to do like our staking on uniswap that has nothing to do with it like is this do you see what you've done as a likely um part of the uh, roadmap for other popular apps, even
3: if they don't see it yet. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think the great thing about about building on, on the EVM is that you know we can tap into the Ethereum ecosystem and, and we can basically fork off if we see that there there are things that we might find valuable. But at the same time, it also adds value to Ethereum because any innovation that happens on the road inside chain will also benefit Ethereum. So I'm I'm incredibly bullish on Ethereum as you know the center of or the the how can I call it the 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 settlement layer for the new internet? And I think you know, as Ethereum scales, that's just going to be more and more apparent. Um, so for me, I think it actually benefits everyone. But but I'm not sure like that all of the all of the transactions should be on Ethereum right now as they are. Of course, I'm an avid NFT collector. I love you know uh, trying to, to to get some tokens. But you know when when there is a- Going on, but you know, there's very heavy gas war, so it's, it's pretty hard to for, even for me, even for me to justify it. Of course, as as a, like a crypto person who's been in the space for years now, I think it's getting a little bit ridiculous. And of course, it can't really be like that. So, um, but I think you know, it's it's just the start. Uh, but I'm, uh, as I said, I am bullish on the, on Ethereum capturing a lot of value.
0: So this gets back to another question that I was wondering about, and it ha- I guess it has to do with the openness and so the degree of like, okay, as you go down this sort of like. I guess maybe as you go up the sort of application layers, you sacrifice certain uh, elements of sort of core blockchain trustlessness. Can can someone else on the Ronin sidechain build an Axie game? Could If Tracy and I came up with the game, could we develop one that people could uh, use their Axie characters and play in?
3: That's the plan in the future. But for now, it's still a little bit early. So what we need is to make sure that it first works for our use case. That's, I mean, that's where we made it, right? It would be too early for us to, to share the access with, with, the, with the world. First of all, like we don't have, let's say the, the APIs aren't, you know, uh, solid enough to, to ensure that, you know, not, not enough people are hammering them. So, you know, that might mean that uh, there it would be, you know, less stable, uh, that the, the servers are less stable than they should be. Uh, so we are actually waiting a little bit on that uh, until we open it up. But in the future, you know, not only Axie Infinity Games, but, but also other games, other game studios. That. That's what we plan to, to work with because, you know, if you're a game studio want to, wanting to make something like Axie Infinity or another type of game and you see Axie, okay, they're successful, they have a nice economy, and they even have the scalable infrastructure of the distribution channels. Now, why would they not work with us? <laughs> so, so that's uh, exactly why we kind of made this entire ecosystem. So we needed to solve our problems first. And that means that we probably understand them from anyone else in the world. And we can also solve them for other game studios in the future. As well.
2: So why don't we talk a little bit more about the sort of in-game economy? Because one of the interesting things in all of this, as we mentioned in the intro, was not only are you making all these technical decisions about, you know, how to manage the blockchain, um, whether or not to launch a decentralized platform, that sort of thing, or a decentralized exchange, but you're also managing that ecosystem. You're managing an actual economy. So you're sort of like acting like a central bank so, could you maybe give us an instance of, or an example of the kind of problems that you will encounter in managing the Axie system? So, I, I imagine there is volatility in um, some of the Axies, the actual NFTs, and then you mentioned, of course, the uh, the currencies or the tokens, AXS and SLP. They've been going up quite a lot recently. What kind of challenges? does that pose? And, and ha- what's your vision for how this economy should ultimately be working
3: and, and heading to? Sure, Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of, the, one of the real interesting things here that, you know, not only are we doing very heavy technological, you know, innovation, but there is also business model innovation here and economic innovation in terms of, you know, how do we see the world working in, in the future? So we see Axie Infinity as a digital nation, and of course when we are functioning as the state uh, in a sense that we are tax system uh, a smaller amount rather than us you know from a marketplace fee perspective right whenever a person is trading on our marketplace we take a 4.25% fee uh, and that you know enables a lot of economic activity between players uh, because it becomes a little bit like let's say the US whenever people are doing commerce against each other you know the state might take a small tax on that but in traditional games the 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 the, the state would you know Take 100% of, of, uh, of every economic activity that's happening. Like that's their goal. So if we were a traditional game, we would take all of the money. But that's kind of uh, one part of it. look at. You know, the the one of the more challenging things is actually balancing out the or you know making sure that the SOP price is not too reflexive. When new people come into the game, they might have you know oh super high expectations. SOP is going to stay at forty cents forever. When in reality, three months before that, it was at you know two cents. So that is a problem from that, you know, level of expectation that these players have. So we are trying to, you know, make sure that the, the price is somewhat stable. And there are different ways that we can do that. So when we see Axie, as I mentioned, we, we function as the, the, the state and that when we are balancing out, let's say, how much SLP is required per breed of Axie, we might reduce that or we might increase that. And then there is another portion of the breeding fee, which is required to pay, like as a developer fee, which is also a part of how we, we make money. Uh, so we might increase that or decrease that, so that you know it balances out a little bit more.
0: You know, I, I was thinking back. You know, Tracy started the discussion talking about Magic the Gathering, and I admit I, I like really should learn more about the game and its history. But my impression is the company uh, Wizards of the Coast has taken its responsibility as the steward of the magic economy very seriously. Oh. And they've never like flood the market with lots of different cards just because they might be expensive at any, at any point and sort of like made these decisions and tried to get things out of whack. Can you Can it all be done, as you say, eventually, algorithmically, such that no one needs to trust you? Or do you always think there's going to be like some entity that like feels a sense of responsibility Towards towards the game, towards the ecosystem.
3: Actually, the, the, let's begin with Magic: The Gathering. Sure, so I still follow that scene uh, lately. Like, <laughs> I mean, Wizards of the Coast are you know now trying to extract as much money as they can from the player base. <laughs> uh, so they <laughs> so they are dumping out all of these different you we know super get rare on. cards. We gotta we gotta <laughs> do a Wizards of the Coast episode. It's like after twenty years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, we gotta yeah, do it. Definitely ask them like, how much money are they earning? Because it must be insane. Okay, but in any case. The way that we see it is that, you know, Axie Infinity is, is, it should be governed by the AXS token holders. But Sky Mavis, which is, you know, the company that, that we have, needs to be very deeply involved with setting their direction. And especially as we move towards decentralization, because, you know, if a, to- if a game or any kind of protocol is supposed to be governed by, you know, the, the token holders, that's kind of a road to decentralization. But we need to be progressive in that sense. We, we, need, to move, we need to walk before we can run. So by saying that, I need to, we actually need to make sure that it's stable first. <laughs> so that would be one of the like the the foundational things that we need to to ship. How long will that take? I guess we'll see. We don't know because it has never been created before. So it might take five years. It might take ten years. I think you know we have to be honest about these things. That you know, sure, we're making something brand new here. There are some problems, but there are massive opportunities here as well. And I think the whole world will be watching exactly what's happening <laughs> in Axie Infinity because maybe not only can we, you know, improve the game side of it, but maybe also improve, you know, how the world works. So I'm incredibly excited uh, about the future here.
2: Not to belabor the Wizards of the Coast analogy, but I mean, one of the things that they did do in order to sort of rebalance out the Magic the Gathering experience or ecosystem was they set up, was it called the Pro League, right? When like, when there were so many powerful cards that were out and the game like wasn't becoming that, much fun to play because if someone you know had a black lotus or whatever they could just like whip out a bunch of those and win the game really easily so no one wanted to play anymore they created a pro league that had different rules and the whole idea was to actually make the game fun and interesting again and my understanding is that axie does have some people who sort of live stream gaming um, on twitch or discord or whatever but like is that something that that you could see like you guys really pushing for like this idea of sort of like a professional league or maybe like more creative solutions to solving imbalances that may emerge in the Axie economy
3: yeah I mean so my background is you know as a game person I loved I was even trying to get into the pro tour at one point (laughs) in Magic the Gathering but I have (laughs) played competitive you know both Warcraft 3 Dota and Dota 2 so I mean I'm always pushing for that side of you know Axie Infinity and I think see actually really working is that you know the people who have the best axes they can't always win all of the time there has wow. to be skill involved as well and that's you know the meta game aspect of it that's also why we are you know doubling down on esports in various areas of the world so we might and we we even have you know a seasonable a season inside the game itself so if you're ranking among the top thousand players you actually get a higher reward so we want to reward good players and i think that's uh a part of what gives certain aspects of Axie's value.
2: Alex, it was great to have you on and, and hear about like how Axie is working currently and all the things that you have planned for it. I mean, I think this is definitely one of the, the more or most ambitious projects that I've heard in the crypto space. So, really interesting um, to hear from you. Thank you so much.
3: Yeah. Thanks, Tracy. Uh, Thanks, Joe. I mean, I'm happy to be here, I think. Incredibly exciting to, (laughs) excited days ahead. Yeah, that was great. Thank you so much.
2: So, Joe, um, I thought that conversation was, like, very, very fascinating, mostly for the point that you kind of made about how this is one of the few blockchain projects that is actually like scaling at an enormous rate and actually having a lot of people who aren't playing
0: it yeah there's a lot of crypto stuff that has a ton of money in it like there's a ton of like money but there are not a lot of crypto things that have a ton of people and or apps and i think like if you actually looked at like the daily number of people like say using Uniswap, a wildly successful DeFi platform. I don't think there's like still like that many, uh, certainly not dealing with like millions of people by any stretch.
2: So it also gets back to a point that I think we've discussed in some of our DeFi episodes, which is about the, the educational process in all of this. So like I, you know, it's tricky enough for me to open a MetaMask account from like Hong Kong using a Hong Kong credit card. Um, But then, like, trying to figure out how to stake coins or do actual DeFi things, like, it it just seems incredibly complex to me. But if you start having these games where everything is sort of built in, and that's why I think the, um, the decentralized exchange is quite interesting, and you start sort of teaching, I mean, literally millions of people about crypto and blockchain and NFTs and DeFi, like, that is very interesting to me.
0: It actually like kind of blows my mind the the hoops that people have to jump through, and then they do jump through them. Like, you know, I like to me, you know, I like 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 we both said, like you know, you set up a MetaMask account, et cetera, It seems pretty complicated. Buying coins is complicated. Staking coins, and then it's like, you know, and that's just like on like the big blockchain. So that's just like Ethereum, and then you're like, oh, now I'm gonna like bridge my uh tokens over to matic or the binance chain or something like that but like people are doing it and figuring it out and then it's like okay with sky mavis or Axie, i have to buy three axes and i need some slp because that's what's necessary yeah, in order like an to,
2: eight it's eight-step like, process
0: yeah it's like yeah yeah I, I saw a thing once it's like a nine-step process and yeah. yet to have that nine-step process and to have that success You know, it still like gets to this fundamental question, though, that's like almost impossible to answer. It's like, is it really fun or is it like, yeah, I'm going to do nine steps because I can make more money in a day than I can working uh, minimum wage in the Philippines, which is where they're very popular. So that's still like kind of this unanswered thing. But then on the flip side, it's like this has been the criticism of crypto from day one. It's like, well, aren't you just in this for the speculation? And it's like, seems like the answer to a lot of these things is yes, but crypto keeps growing. I don't know. It's very like, it's chicken and eggy.
2: So here's what I think is changing. Like this idea that crypto is a viable alternative to normal jobs or traditional jobs, or the idea that like crypto is a viable way of making money. And you weren't here for this episode, but um, Joseph Wang about a week or two ago was talking about this idea that like, maybe one of the factors in persistent like shortages of labor supply in the US might be because people are sat there seeing loads of people making money off of Bitcoin or whatever, or GameStop stock or whatever. And so that kind of becomes a viable alternative. I think that is what's changing. Like if you would have told people 10 or 20 years ago, uh, you don't have to work your day job, you can just sit and play like this Axie Infinity game and make a living wage I I think like no one would have believed you
0: yeah yeah but and that's true but to push back and to your point that you brought up it's like how much of these jobs are only viable because they're premised on the existence of new people coming into the space so it's like you could make a living selling paint it's not premised on the existence of more people entering the paint industry it's premised on the existence of people wanting to paint their (laughs) own. right like at some point, yeah, I think
2: that's a very valid criticism. Yeah.
0: At some point, crypto may be the kind of thing where it's like, OK, it's providing financial services that people then use in the real economy in some meaning. And that could be in a, a metaverse. So when I say real economy, I don't necessarily mean a physical economy. But I do wonder, like, how much of crypto profits are still simply premised on the idea of more people getting into crypto?
2: Totally. And again, like, I think Axie is sort of like a great example of all these big yeah. themes and questions all in like one concentrated game. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens as they continue to grow. Um, you know, they were talking about getting to billions of people. And as even yeah. Alex
0: said, like, at some point, OK, he's like, when we hit our two billion Tam or when we yeah. then we, we really got to make sure the game is like super fun to play.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um. OK, well. Should
0: we leave it there? Yeah, there's so much more to talk about that there, as you say, there's like no stopping point with any of this. But uh yeah, let's leave it there.
2: All right. Um, this has been another episode of the All Thoughts Podcast. I'm Tracy Alloway. You can follow me on Twitter at Tracy Alloway.
0: And I'm Joe Weisenthal. You can follow me on Twitter at the Stalwart. And you should follow our guest on Twitter, Alexander Leonard Larson. He's the co-founder and COO of Sky Mavis, the company behind Axie Infinity. His handle is at PsychOut. 86. Follow our producer, Laura Carlson. She's at Laura M. Carlson. Follow the Bloomberg head of podcast, Francesca Levy at Francesca Today. And check out all of our podcasts at Bloomberg under the handle at podcasts. Thanks for listening.